Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Just wanted to take a brief moment to give you guys a little idea how we do it here at Paddle and Fin Podcast. We use the Anchor.fm recording platform. Super easy, distributes our podcast to many, many different platforms. There's creation tools to allow you to record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. Check out Anchor. Dot .fm or download the free Anchor app to get started. This segment is brought to you by Jigmaster Jigs. When in doubt, get the jig out. Go to jigmasters.com, use promo code PNF20 and save 20% off your jig order. Welcome to the Paddle and Fan Podcast, the Bass Fishing for Noobs segment, where we try to improve our skills as an angler by learning new techniques or improving the ones we already know. I'm your host, Ryan Milton. Welcome to the Bass Fishing for Noobs segment of the Paddle and Fin Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Milford, and today we're here with an old buddy of mine I ain't got to see in a while, Brian Andrews. Uh, Brian used to be an old neighbor of mine, and uh, he's a big bass fisherman. We used to talk about it all the time. He uh, he actually helped me out when, in my first year or two of fishing. You know, I talked to him a lot of, about techniques and whatnot. He, he got me into making my own jigs and whatnot. And, uh, yeah, just it, he's a boat fisherman. I know y'all are used to hearing kayak fishing on this podcast, but you know we're just out to become better bass fishermen, regardless of what you're fishing from. So we got a boat fisherman today for you, so, Brian. How you doing? All right, Brian. How are you doing? I'm making it, man. All right. Well, first off, everybody, I'm Brian Andrews. I'm from Chapel Hill, Tennessee. Uh, born and raised here. Lived here most of my life. Um, just a little background on me and how I got into fishing was farm pond fishing. My grandfather had a 180 acre farm with two farm ponds. My dad stocked with bass, bluegill, catfish, and just as a little kid, you know, just running around digging up worms, catching grasshoppers, just throwing them out there and trying to catch fish. And as soon as they hooked that first fish, that was it. It's over with. That's hooked for life. I love, I love fishing. Unfortunately, you know, when I got in my teenage years, I was playing a lot of baseball and golf and playing on high school teams and, and traveling teams and stuff like that. So I kind of got away from it for a little while. And then once school was over, I joined Coast Guard for four years. 
um, traveled around, went to Sturgeon Bay, Wisconsin, you know, New Jersey, California, and, and Virginia. Did that, did that up till 2005, and then moved back home. Well, when I got back home, you know, I found a couple old fishing rods in the closet, and I was like, you know, I ain't used these in a while. Let's go out and fish in the pond again. And I went back out in that pond and started right all over again. Just <laughs> rekindled a lost spirit there. Well, after that being done, I got that spirit back and started buying me some fishing gear. It started loading up on it. And then I got to a point, you know, I was fishing from, you know, the banks here in Williamsport or New Lake around town or or maybe even Normandy Lake, Thames Four Lake, wherever I could go and just, you know, wet a line. And then I just realized, you know, I gotta get out on the water. I gotta get out there where the fish are at. You know, yeah, I can catch some from the bank, but I wanna get out there where the big ones are at and play. So I broke, I broke down and bought my first boat. It was a challenge at first, you know, learning the ins and outs of running the trolling motor and learning the depth finders and things like that. But after a little practice and a little bit of um, patience, it, it started coming together. But that's kind of a basic on where I got to and where I'm at now. Um, I know Ryan's mentioned earlier, we got fall fishing coming up. Fall fishing, it can be really, really tough or it can be really, really great. It's just all how the fish act accordingly and how you plan your trip. That's one thing I always, um, one thing I always want to emphasize to people when they go on a fishing trip, try to plan your trip. Yeah, I know sometimes we get a spur of the moment and we get a break from our daily duties, you know, maybe with family or work or whatnot it is and we just want to jump and go. Hey, that's great too. But if you can plan your trip, you can probably make your fishing experience a little bit more uh, enjoyable, knowing that, hey, I planned this together, I got this set forth. Um, and with that, we'll go over a few things here in, in, in just a minute on what we can do to plan that fishing trip just a little bit better. And I'll give you a few, few pointers, a um, few ideas that I have that I've learned catching fall fish. Um, one thing about fall fish, they're on the move. They're always constantly moving. So if they're moving, then you're going to have to move. So I'm not saying you're going to have to run a hundred spots a day. I'm just saying you're just going to have to be adaptable to what they're doing. And you're going to have to pick up on that. As soon as you can catch two fish in a row, you got a pattern. Once you got a pattern established, you can run that pattern for most of the day until the conditions change. Once the conditions change, then you might have to reestablish a second uh, backup pattern. So, <clears throat> with that being said, like I said, the fish are on the move. And the reason they're on the move, they're following the bait fish. They're following the forage. And the forage is when the temperatures start to cool down, they're going to start uh, migrating to where they're going to find warmer water. And, and when that happens, the, the warmest waters you're going to find at back of creeks, the shallows the areas like that because the deeper water it's starting to get the what they call a fall turnover the lake turns over a little bit and some people you know that discourages a little bit but don't let it discourage you it it, it 
basically, whenever you get a fall turnover, it's, it keeps fish shallow too. I, I fish shallow when there's a fall turnover. You won't notice it much. You might notice a discoloration in the water. You might notice a temperature change on your graph if you got a graph on your kayak or your boat. Um, if you notice that, like I said, target the backwater areas where you'll find the forage trying to congregate to get to warmer water, especially when you get a real cold front come through when it drops from 72 in the middle of the day and overnight, you get four nights in a row where it's in the 30s low 40s you're going to get a, a drastic water change um so like i said you know you're going back to fish and forage well certain baits uh one in particular i'm actually we're out in my garage right now we're at my boat and i'm staring at a few rods on the deck and a few lures and things um, one that's uh, sticking out to me the most is a spoon that's, a, that's probably one of the best imitating bait fish baits there are. And on top of that, you can fish it as shallow as a foot by burning it real quick back to the boat, just waking it just under the surface. Or you can fish it as deep as you want to. I mean, I've, I've gone and caught uh, other species of fish on 30, 40, 50 feet deep vertical fishing. Well, I was, I was gonna say with that, like, you know, I'm, I don't have no experience with a spoon. I've never used one or everything. I, I always assumed that it was just a, like a striper fishing technique. I've never, I'm never like considered using it like for bass fish. So you, you catch catch bass on a spoon? Uh, yes, I do. I mean, uh, some of the biggest bass I've ever caught on a spoon. Um, really? Spoons, um, Spoons can range in many sizes. You can know, you can get one as small, and uh, some of the smallest that I have are an eighth ounce. And I've got some spoons over in a box that ledge fish during the summer. That weigh two, two and a half ounces, and they're probably about ten to twelve inches long. So, eighth ounce, you're probably looking at about an inch and a half, two inch long spoon, up to a two and a half ounce spoon, ten to twelve inches long. And the the bigger spoons are called flutter spoons. And the smaller ones are called normally called jigging spoons. Um, like I said, I, I could throw them. I've thrown them, and I, on top of that, with them being them different sizes and 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 whatnot, you can throw them on a bait caster, all the way down to a spinning rod with six pound test. Um, on bait caster, if I'm using um, a War Eagle, uh, five eighths ounce to a half ounce. I come in three colors that I like to use is nickel, um, gold plated, or white. And by far my favorite is probably the white. Um, like I said, we're in my garage, I'm staring at a few things on the shelf right now. Um, I've taken the white 5 eighths, the half ounce spoon and staking it on a 7.3 to 7.2 heavy Dobbins rod with a 6.4 or 7 to 1, 7 to 5, somewhere to a medium to medium fast a ratio bait caster with about 15 pound fluorocarbon. I can feel every little thump that the spoon makes on a fall. I can feel it every little jig I make with it. I can, and it'll cast a country mile. I mean, it'll go out there. And that's a good thing too about a spoon during the fall. You can throw it on a windy day if you're out there and you're trying to, and you're trying to throw a spook, a topwater lure, a buzz bait, something with a little 
bulkiness to it mm. and it gets in that wind you might not throw it but 20 feet or 20 yards just whatever happens you know you might get a wind night or bird's nest in your in your pole but or rod reel i should say um so spoon was probably my the one thing i could tie on and have it right on this deck right now and use it all the way till up till next march when the fish start to spawn i mean i can use it in the fall the winter the summer the only time you don't ever use a spoon is during the spawn when the fish are up on the banks uh laying their eggs i mean i every fisherman needs to have a spoon in their tackle box well i, I guess i might have to go pick some up I, I do have one that i bought like back when i first started bass fishing it was I think I gave like a dollar for it. It was on clearance or something. And I I just grabbed it, but I've never tied it on a single time. Um, I might have to go pick some up now. Yeah. Um, not only do those spoons come in all those different shapes and and weights and things that I, they come in different uh, styles. Um, one I'm looking at right now is a smooth. It's just got a smooth finish to it. It's gonna give a lot. Uh, it's gonna give some flash, and it also has a little feather treble hook on the end. That that'll add a little bit to it too. It'll look, it'll make it look like a bait fish maybe uh, eating some fry or plankton or whatnot. It just it just gives it that extra attraction to a fish. Um, on top of that, I said that one has a smooth finish. Some of them have a hammered finish. The hammered finish is great if you want to get a lot of attraction. The hammered finish puts off a lot of uh, flash and and. Uh, gets their attention pretty quick. I use the hammered ones a lot. Um, on days like today where we're, um, it's real sunny right now, but hardly any clouds in the sky, um, I like to use the silver one, the nickel one. Um, gold ones, I'll use the gold ones probably more on a sunny day when it's colder. It seems like that gold on any lure, not just a spoon, during the winter time, that colder water is that gold just sticks out more I, I don't know if it's cause the bait fish just turn a gold or tint during the winter or what it is but that gold on a sunny day during the colder months or your backside of your fall fishing it, the, the gold kind of sticks out as far as the white like I said the white's my favorite white I could use it I could use it in overcast rainy days or sunny days but when I get that overcast and I get that rainy day going, I got that white spoon on, I know I'm probably going to put about a four or five pounder in the boat. I mean, and, and on top of that, it catches small mouth spots, large mouth. And, and, don't, and some of y'all, if you're in the big waters, you know, don't be afraid. You might, you might hang a 10 to 20 pound rockfish or two on them also <laughs> they, they they i've caught many of them on those they're a fun fight that's for sure just make sure you drag set <laughs> but that's one lure right off the top of you know every angler needs to have a spoon in the boat like i said you can use it year year round fish it to a foot deep burning it you know back to the boat or you can fish it jigging it deep and it works really good on uh channels when you get the creek channels you find a little drop that's usually where those fish are going to be hoarding them fish if they're not hoarding them up against the bank because they're going to use that channel bank as a bank as a pinch point to get what they want and you hop that spoon right in that area where they're at feeding just hold on so 
that's that's probably one right off the bat for me is a spoon definitely a spoon well that's definitely interesting because i have no experience with the spoon and and that made me very interested in that um something we talked about before we started recording mm -hmm. is uh, and i never really thought about this till you said something about it mm -hmm. is you were saying learn how to catch other fish and you'll learn how to catch bass better oh yes so uh, I, I i asked you to i was like hold on save that for the podcast okay let, let, okay let's talk about that a little more uh for the listeners here okay um basically what i was going over with ryan was if you can learn how to catch bluegill crappie yellow bass white bass people call them stripers whatever those fish live with those um, bass, largemouth and smallmouth too. And of course the largemouth and the smallmouth, they're gonna eat, they, they'll eat the bluegill. And if you get a big enough largemouth, not, not necessarily maybe a small, um, smallmouth as much, they'll eat them crappie if they're, if they're eatable size, you know, five, six, seven, eight inch, they'll eat them. I mean, I, I've been around, you know, the old fellers up there at the store early in the morning drinking their coffee, telling me how they went over to the lake and fished from dock and they're pulling up about a 10-inch crappie. They, oh, yeah, it's going to skillet. And then all of a sudden, about a six-pound largemouth comes up there and takes it from them. <laughs> I mean, so it does happen. So getting back to what, you know, with that, if you learn how to catch those fish and you learn their movements, and you learn where they go, when they go, and why they go there, you'll find more bass. Now, I'm not saying you're gonna go out and find 100 bass, but you might find one or two extra bites in your day, and you might find you a big bite. You might find you a six pound large mouth or a four and a half pound small mouth based on you learning those other fish. It's kind of hard to learn the shad because, you know, they're so small, it's hard to catch them, you yeah. know, to learn where they go. But eventually you'll learn them, like I said earlier in the, in the fall transition um, part there, they're going to migrate towards the shallows once the water gets cooler because they're looking for warmer water. And then when it gets so cool, they'll run deep during the winter. But, you know... For me, I, I've, I've been crappie fishing more here as of late, and I've been doing some more bluegill fishing with a friend of mine that um, he, he just, he loves to pan fish. And I've learned a lot from him, and just learning those little things from him and where those fish go and, and why they bed, where they bed, and how they bed. Like I said, those bass, when they go, they go up there and bed during the springtime, them bass will be up there after they're done bed, and they'll be trying to pick off a free meal. And then, it's like I said, if you know where those bluegill are bedding, and you know the bass are off bed, you, you can pick one off of maybe a popper or a frog or something like that, something to imitate a, a bluegill fl fluttering across the top of the water or whatnot. But, yeah, I, I, just, I just recommend, you know, you, Try not to be one species, you know, specific. Try to learn. I'm not saying go out there and learn how to catch every fish in the world. I'm just saying learn to catch the fish that the bass are feeding on. That the bass will feed on yeah. or try to feed on. And that'll help you get a few extra bites in your arsenal 
and make you a better bass fisherman overall in the long run. I mean, I've never really thought about it before, but whenever you said that, I'm like, it makes so much sense because if they're going to be, you know, at a certain spot eating these fish, well, if you know where those fish are going to be, you know where they're going to be at feeding. Well, here's an even better, another example. You don't have to learn how to catch crappie because the bass will eat the crappie. Crappie eat a lot of bait fish, the same bait fish the bass eat. So if you're on a crappie deal for a couple of days or a couple of weeks, whenever you get a chance to go, and you're catching crappie up there 10, 15 feet deep, hitting minnows or shad, so what's that tell you? That means the shad are in 10, 15 foot of water. So the bass eat the shad, so where's the bass gonna be? 10 to 15 foot of water. See, that, that, that's another way to look at it too. I mean, it's not just because a bass will eat a crappie or a bass eat a bluegill. It's because there's some of those fish that you're fishing for, like the rockfish, the stripers, stuff like that. They eat the fish that the bass eat. I've been many times, I've been out uh, striper fishing in the fall, as we're talking about fall fishing, with a topwater spook about four to five inches long and a bone color. And then if it's sunny, I might use a... Um, like a little flash to it, a little silver side to it. And the rockfish come up in the jumps or the Cherokees, a strike. And I'm casting out there and I'm catching two or three or my fishing partner, he's catching them. And I'm throwing another lure up in front and I'm catching green fish right there with them. The green fish, the, the largemouth, they'll run with them rockfish too. They'll be right there together in the same group because normally the bigger fish they let the little fish do the work for them. They'll get up there and they'll gorge, 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 and some of them will regurgitate or, or miss a, a bait and it'll be fluttering to the bottom. Well, them bigger fish will be underneath waiting for that to happen so they don't have to expend all that energy and burn their weight because that's what they're doing in the fall. They're, they're feeding up to get their metabolisms built for the cold water that's coming in the winter. And like I said, me knowing how to catch a rockfish, knowing how to catch a crappie, knowing how to catch bluegill and all that, it kind of helps me learn the movements too of where these bass could be and should be. And that's why, that's why I try to fish for more than just bass. I'm excited about this fall. Um, people that listen to this podcast already know like up until this year, I haven't had much luck at all with bass fishing, regardless how much, how many things I've tried and all that. So by the fall, I've usually done got frustrated and said, you know, screw it, I'm, I'm done for the year. But this year, I've, I've caught more bass than I've caught all the rest of my years bass fishing combined, and so I, I'm excited for this type time of year. Everybody talking about the fall bite. Man, I'm, I'm ready to get into it. Uh, you ever fished Del Hollow? Been there one time. One time? One time. All right. I, I meant to ask you that before we even mm-hmm. started this here. I got a trip next weekend going up there, and I've never been there. Been there I've, I've heard that it's a really deep lake. Yes, and it is. there's not many shallow points on it at all. So. It... I don't know where the listeners are from or where they're fishing from, but here in Tennessee we have um, Tim's Ford Lake, we have Center Hill Lake, and a lot of the old timers around here call those sister lakes. 
they're very deep impoundments. And I think the deepest, uh, I was actually on Tim's floor last night, it's about 110 feet deep. Um, Center Hill, same way. Now, Del Hollow, it's kind of the same setup as those two. That's the reason why I brought those two up to start with. Like I said, I've only been there one time, but the difference between Del Hollow and Tim's Ford and Center Hill, and I've never been to Center Hill, so I might, I might be putting my foot in my mouth here, but uh, and I apologize if I am to those that are listening. Uh, Del Hollow has grass in it. Um, you can get on a 20 foot deep section of the lake and it can have uh, like a, it's not really millful, it's like a, a stringy type. It's not eel grass and it's not milfoil. And those are about the only two I know by vocabulary. I apologize to those hardcore listeners out there that know their grasses very well in the lakes. <laughs> uh, but at Del Hollow, it's got 20 foot flats on it and they'll have grass growing up off the bottom of it anywhere from six inches to four foot tall. And the only reason I know that, the one time I went, I went in August about six, seven years ago. I was throwing Carolina rig out there on the flat, but the little depth finder I had at the time didn't show the grass very well. Every time I reel it in, my weight, my three-quarter ounce weight had a big old glob of grass on it. <laughs> I'm like, huh, okay. Well, at that time, it was August and it was super, super hot. So the fish, they're kind of out suspended a little deeper than what I had brought to fish with. Like I said, I was, I was basically there just for a camping trip. I wasn't there for a fishing trip. Um, and with that grass being in that lake like that, it filters the water really, really well. And a couple spots I fished in, it was showing on my depth finder at 15 feet deep and it looked like I was looking in two foot of water. I could count every pebble on the bottom. I've heard it's a very clear lake. It's very clear. So some tips on the, you know, fishing a lake like that when it's clear like that, small line. Smallest you can get away with. Uh, for me, I'd probably be six pound, maybe some eight pound test. Uh, I know there's some hardcore guys out there, they'll use five, five pound tests. I ain't feeling that lucky. <laughs> I, well, that lake is is known for the world record smallmouth. I believe right around a little over 11 pounds. It's there's a website I think on the U.S. Army Corps of Engineer, or better yet, just Google uh, Del Hollow Lake. Um, there's been several tins caught out of it. It's got musky, walleye. It's got some of the biggest red ear sunfish you'll ever see, some two to three pounders in it from what I've understood. I've never, like I said, I've only been there one time. If my old man found out there was a bigger red ear fish in there, we'd be going just about every other weekend. That's how much he loves the red ear sunfish. Or some of y'all call them strawberry, uh, strawberry brim. Um, but for one thing, you know, it's clear like you need to use some, some clean, clear lines. Uh, going back to what I mentioned a minute ago, the spoon. Take your spoon with you. Like I said, if you got it deep and clear, you can fish that thing straight up and down under your kayak or under your boat if you're in a boat and vertical jig it. Just, you know, move your rod tip in little six to eight inch increments and you'll be amazed how far that spoon will move just moving your rod tip six to eight inches. You move your rod six inches, that jigging spoon can jump two foot. 
just depends on how far deep you are. The deeper you are, the more it'll jump or, or move side to side. It, it, it uh, kind of moves in a figure eight. Um, just be aware that sometimes that treble hook will f flip up there and catch on any line. You might have to reel it up and unhook it, but there's a lot of techniques and things to fix that. And um, I could probably explain it on here, but it'd probably be better visually showed. Uh, but um, as far, like I said, Del Hollow, a spoon. Um, another thing I'd take, you'd be amazed, you take a top water. If you get a decent overcast day and you go up there and you throw a top water over 20, 30 feet of water, remember I said it's 15 foot down, it looks like it's two feet deep under mm -hmm. you. Those fish, if you can see that deep, those fish can see you from that deep. So if they can see you from, if they can see 20, 30 feet clear water, they may come rushing all the way to the top in a matter of two seconds and bust that top water lure. Well, I always keep top water on. I know you're you're a so. big you're a big whopper plopper fan. <laughs> I, I, I've, I, I've watched your videos. Uh, yeah. That's a great great lure to use. Now, as far as top water, when I I'm going to go back and the color of the top water, a clear, natural looking top water will probably work better because the water's clear. It's going to look more natural to the fish. Now, if you get a little chop on the water, you get a little ripple, yeah, you could probably get away with throwing a more solid cutter like a bone or uh, like a sexy shad type color with a little ripple on it. Yeah, because what that's going to do with that shine, the sun or it reflecting the sunlight, the ripples are going to help break that up. And that's not going to give that fish a good look at your lure, and it's going to make them get a little more curious and come look at it. So they can come up. Now they may be they may be maybe a 30, 20 to 30 foot flat with that grass. The fish could be right above the grass, so they may not be but 15 to 18 feet deep. That's just a little less for them to come up. But like I said, with that water being that clear, they could see that. Um, something else I'd use if I was going up there, I'd use a jig. I'd use a I'd use, um, you could either go the big route, or you know, when I mean big route, you could go with a bait catcher. And now, with it being clear water, you need to use fluorocarbon. Fluorocarbon doesn't reflect light, it soaks uh, the water, it absorbs the water a little bit, so it sinks and has a, a straighter contact between you and the lure. And it's a little more invisible to the fish. I use 15 pound fluorocarbon over at Tim Ford exclusively and go in the winter time and early spring and catch three and a half to four and a half pound smallmouth on 15 pound fluorocarbon when all the old timers like to use eight pound test or six pound test because they feel like the fish can see a line. I just go with what makes me confident. I know I can go out there and do that, but fluorocarbon on a clear lake like that um, a jig, green pumpkins and browns are a good color on a clear lake like that. It's real natural colors. Real natural colors. Natural, clear, the cleaner the water, the more natural the colors. Always remember that, okay? Uh, you got stained water. Yeah, you could throw a green pumpkin out there, but you might have to get a little red flash in it or a little black in it or a little, just something to offset that. but. 
stained waters, you know, you might want to have to dye it up with some chartreuse dye a little bit, make it stick out, or black and blue, black and blue. Um, does really well in stained uh, muddy water. I, I like my dark colors in, in muddy water. Um, like my black and reds, black and um, blues, black and purple, stuff like that. But uh, as far as the clear water, always remember natural colors, browns, greens, uh, maybe a little bit of a what I call an off-colored orange. Kind of is, is, is between a bright orange and a brown. Or a brown and orange mixed together is really good. It, it could be the ticket. Sometimes, sometimes that little bitty slight color change can make a difference in getting five bytes or zero bytes. And I, and I know some of y'all probably listening, y'all might be uh, kayak tournament fishermen guys like that. That might make you a big difference there. So basically when it comes down to any fishing at all, find you, find you a skill or lure that you can build confidence in and start building confidence in that. And that way, once you get confidence in that, that you can trust it, then you can work your way up to another lure or two. And once you got that, then you'll have your full arsenal to work with. That's what I've done. My, my go-to is a swing jig. I'm not sure if many people, uh, it's been fairly new. It's probably been less than 10 years now. Uh, take one of those with you to Del Hollow. It's it's a great. It's just like fishing a football jig with a skirt. It just doesn't have a skirt. Um, you can put any soft plastic you want to on it. You can put a worm, crawfish, uh, like a zoom brush hog, is a good one. Um, one thing I've been doing with them lately, here in the last year and a half, two years, and I don't know why I didn't discover it sooner, is a swim bait. I've been like a hard body swim bait or no, like a soft no, plastic swim bait? Uh, great question. Um, best one, as I'm looking at one right now, a Swing Impact Kitech swim bait. We had one of our other hosts on here just last week talking about the Kitech swim bait, but, but he was talking about river fishing. He don't do a lot of lake fishing, okay. so he's not real good at it with that. Okay. But before we get into that, let's take <laughs> a, uh, a quick commercial break and we'll be right back. What's up, boys and girls? Just wanted to take a quick minute to talk to you about the Paddle and Fin gear. If you haven't seen it yet, go to Paddle, the letter N, and Fin.com. Go click that store tab at the top. Check out the store. We got tons of t-shirt designs, long sleeves, hoodies, phone cases, you name it, it's on there. Give it a gander. All right, welcome back, everybody. Before the break, we were uh, starting to get into the Kitek swim baits a little bit. A little bit. Uh, uh, Josh Eldridge talked about it last week on the episode, but he wasn't real good with the. Uh, you know, he he said he wasn't too familiar with fishing it on the lakes. So uh, we might be able to get Brian here to give us a little insight on the on the lake side of it. All right. Um, back to what uh, I was mentioning in the previous segment was here in the last year or so, 
I, you know, I've been fishing swing jigs for pretty much since they hit the market, and I've been fishing the brand name ones and that. And here in the last few years, I've been pouring my own. And what's great about pouring your own stuff, you can modify it to what fits your fishing style. And this swing jig that I've been making, I've been making them with a smaller hook than what you can get on the shelf. And I've been fishing a Kitek swim bait, 3.8 inch. Now I'm gonna have to keep the color on the little down low. <laughs> Somebody might get mad at me. Uh, been fishing that, and I've been fishing it during the winter. I've been fishing it during early spring. Like I said, once fish go on bed, I kind of, I kind of get away from it. And then when the fish go postpone, I basically fish it all the time. Uh, this fall is going to be really key money, and probably the real key money on that is with that Kitek this fall is using a small one, like a two and a half to three inch size, because that's you're going to have a lot of shad that are real small right now um, that's why it's real tough to catch them during the month of august and september because that's what the fish are feeding on they're fishing on them smaller ones because they're easy to get to <clears throat> eventually they'll trans <clears throat> transfer over to uh, like the three to four or five inches once we get further into the fall but the early part of the fall they're going to concentrate probably on the smaller ones um, as far as i'm throwing it on the lake i throw it anywhere on a half ounce well i throw it probably on a five eighths ounce head all the way down to a one eighth ounce head and i'll throw the i'll throw the uh, 3.8 inch on um, the five eighths and a half ounce and a three eighths ounce head very seldom but at times i'll throw it on a five sixteenths head with 15 pound test targeting real shallow water if I know them bass are just cruising up there two to five feet deep, because what if you, I don't want to get too heavy throwing at that shallow, or I'm going to dip my swing jig's going to dig too much, and I'm going to get hung up all the time. Well, another good thing is too, you got more wood, woody cover closer to the bank from fall downs and stuff like that. If you throw a smaller, lighter head, it tends to glide through that wood a little better than it would than a bigger one. Uh, the swing jigs are best known for gliding across rock. Um, if you're ever curious of how all the swing jig stuff started, um, go on YouTube or, or Google and type in, uh, well, maybe not on Google. You might come up with something you don't want to see, but uh, <laughs> it's called bottom bugging is where the original term for it. Um, and Tommy Biffle is the one who created this. Uh, He's a bass, was a bass elite series angler a couple years ago. Now he's on the major league, uh, major league fishing tour, bass pro tour. Um, but as far as where to catch them on the lake with those, those type swim baits, Ryan, um, I'll just start off the winter time. I go look for channel swings, main river channel swings. I'll go get me a map or use my map chip and my depth finder and I'll find where the main river channel swings up to a long point where that point kind of dips down into the channel swing and you and there's um, there's one particular point near near the dam over at Tins Ford uh, my brother and I was fishing over there this last winter and we probably fished almost half a morning 
hardly got a bite and we was throwing around some crawfish imitating lures and stuff and I, he said you know what I'm gonna pick up his swim bait and I put swim bait on found me a point out there swinging it I ended up catching almost a 12 pound of smallmouth of three fish three three keepers over there they were a little skinny in size tend for to tend to run a little skinny unlike down towards Del Hollow or Wheeler or Wilson Lake, places like that, Pickwick, they got the, their, their small mouth tend to be more of a, what we call a football type. Over at Tim's, they seem to be a little skinnier, but they'll get football size over there too. You just got to catch it just right. But that's what I like to do during wintertime there, find me a long point that kind of dips off into a channel swing and, and they'll congregate there in little schools. Um, we ran that pattern one day and I think that day we ended up with our best five smallmouth being right at 17 pounds and we might, and we caught that with less than half a day to go so we wasted half a day trying to figure them out and then the other half of the day in a matter of like four five hours we ended up catching almost almost a 20 pound bag of smallmouth we probably would have got them on earlier in the morning we might have got there but uh, that's just that's just one way you can do that there during the winter time with those uh, springtime or early springtime when the fish are uh, pre-spawn uh, find you adjacent flat to a spawning pocket uh, a point or a point or two to a, a spawning pocket um, they'll load up on that the largemouth I do catch them largemouth on them I, I, I fish Lower Hill Lake it's a TWRA lake down near Lawrenceburg Tennessee um, I've caught some six and six and seven pound fish over on them swing jigs with the with either the Kitech swim bait or a, a zoom speed crawl on the back of it. Uh, it worked really, really, really well. Um, winter to uh, summertime, if I get a chance, I'm out at Kentucky Lake, Gunnersville, Pickwick Lake, Wheeler Lake. Those places got ledges. Get into the ledge fishing where you can go catch, you know, you can go catch a hundred bass off of one ledge. You know. I'm, averaging two and a half to three pounds or you can get on one ledge and catch five it weigh all five pounds or bigger you take that swing tech that kai tech i should say um and you could pair it up with a bigger hook say like a four or five volt and put like the bigger one on there like uh, i believe it's a 5.8 in that range six inch long um throw it out there really across those uh ledge muscle muscle beds hold on that's all i can say is hold on because if you get in like i said a school of four or five that are weighing five pounds or bigger they're going to try to pull that sucker out of your hand <laughs> and when you set the hook it's going to feel like you done hung a stump you're going to <laughs> so uh that that's one way you can do it during summertime and of course back to the fall you know just you now i said main river earlier and i want to emphasize the difference between the two I and mean, you want to get in the creek channels right off the main river and those little swings you know where in the main river it might have been 40, 50, 60 feet deep. You get in the creek channels, it could be anywhere from 8, 15 to 20 feet deep. And you get in those little channel bends or swings. If you find a swing with a hard patch of gravel or maybe, like I said, shell beds on it, you throw that Kitek 3.8 in there and just reel it across there, bam. Or if you want to get a little more... Uh, finesse with it they're not biting very good you take your little eighth ounce head quarter ounce head somewhere in that range put you a little three inch to two two and a um, 2.75 uh, inch k 
Kitek on there. That's that's few. That's just a few general broad ways you can fish the river or the uh, main rivers like Tennessee River or big lake like Thames Ford, Normandy, uh, Del Hollow, Percy Priest, stuff like that. That's that's basically just the over general knowledge of what I've learned in the last year and a half, two years fishing the Kitek on the lake. Man, I'm I'm. Probably gonna have to pick some of those up before I go up there to Del Hollow. I, I think I actually still have some of those uh, swing jigs that you made me a long time ago. <laughs> well, <laughs> I've got plenty more, so if you need some before you go, I'll give you a handful. <laughs> Might have to take you up on that. Um, all right, so I, I got a couple questions I usually ask mm -hmm. my uh, my guests that I have on here that. And uh, I should have gave you a heads up about this ahead of time, but I didn't. But one of the questions, the, the first one I like to ask is, you got a brand new bass fisherman. Okay. You know, never went bass fishing before in their life. They come up to you, let's say, uh, they're, they're going to go to Bass Pro, mm -hmm. Cabela's Academy, wherever they're going to go. And they're going to pick up three lures to help them get started bass fishing. Mm. And they ask you, what three lures should they pick up? What are you gonna tell them? Well, I'm gonna tell them you need to pick up, probably, if it was me, I'd pick up a lure for each depth of the water column. I'd pick up a top, I'd, I'd tell them find them a top water. Now top water could be a popper, a Sarah Spook, a walk the dog type action lure or frog. Um, whopper plopper. Whopper plopper. <laughs> or a buzz bait. And then they say, okay. And then they probably ask me, well, which one should I get? Because you said one, but I just give you five. Well, I would ask them what kind of lake are you going to fish the most? Are you going to fish a lake that's got a lot of grass? If you are, frog, something's going to glide through there and not get hung up in the treble hooks. If you're going to fish a clear water lake, like you said, Dale Hollow, Thames Ford, or maybe a river system with very few little grass, then we would go with a treble hook route, maybe a whopper plopper or, or a walker dog type. That's how I would help them figure out which top water there. Second, I would try to get something in the mid-depth range. We could go crankbait, like an 8 to 12 foot diver but that's a great lure don't get me wrong i love my crankbaits but if you got a jig you can fish that jig just about anywhere you want to you can fish shallow medium and deep depending on what weight you get good general rules about three eighths to a half ounce you can fish shallow as <clears throat> a foot or as deep as 20 foot you just gotta slow down so that right there, the second one I tell them get a jig because actually that's going to add more to their arsenal than it would if I was just to take them, tell them get a crankbait and just sit there in that one depth. All right, and then the third, probably another lure that you could probably fish different depths. So first one was a top water, first and second one was a jig. So that's a bait fish and bluegill crustacean type imitator probably 
Mm, it's a tough one on the last one. <laughs> I'm going to say for me, it's been around forever and it's worked since forever. And you can fish it deep or shallow, depending on how slow or fast you fish it. Spinnerbait. Simple enough. Yes, I didn't say a worm or, or brush hog or anything like that. I think once you figured out, once you figure out how to use the jig, you'll learn how to use a worm, um, Texas rig, things like that, because it's almost fished the same way, sort of. It has similarities there. So once you graduated from the jig, you could go get the worm. That's my reason why I didn't say worm or, or Texas rig or none of that stuff. And like in the spinnerbait, it's just a great imitator of bluegill, shad, just all around forage. I mean, you got the flashing blades, you got, you can fish it. That's another kicker too. You can fish it in clean water or dirty water, depending on what color you got. And same with the jig, you can fish it in dirty water or clean water and top water. You could catch some on muddy water on top water but it's gonna take some patience because you gotta get that lure real tight to the cover because one thing everybody needs to understand is when it gets muddy, muddy, muddy water, them fish are gonna go shallow and they're gonna get tight to a piece of cover, a lay down, a log, um, stumps, things like that. So if it was me, those would be the three I had probably tied on year round, a jig, top water, and a spinnerbait because not only when the fish go spawn, you can still catch fish spawning on the top water. So there's that. You can use it during the summertime when they go to schooling, when they get up in the jumps. You can use it in the fall when they go schooling, get up in the jumps. Yeah, you can actually catch them on top water during the winter. Just because it's cold outside, don't be afraid to throw a top water. I've caught some pretty decent sized bass on a buzz bait in about 48 degree water before. Uh, Spinnerbait, you can use it all year round. You can you can use it in uh, when they're spawning a little bit. And if they're starting to spawn, if they're not up against the bank bank, like say they're spawning in five, six foot of water, you can catch them. I mean, you might not catch a lot, but you might catch one big giant. So those are my, that, as, as a general rule for me, I tell them spinnerbait, jig, topwater. That's, that's mine. All right. Um, my second question I'd like to ask is for a brand new bass fisherman, what's one piece of advice that you would give them? One piece of advice I would give them. <laughs> I know everybody's got their own little take on this, I guess. I think for me, my, my advice that I give to myself and I know a lot of you, y'all listen to this podcast, Mike Iaconelli, never give up. I, I, I live that every time I go fishing. I mean, I get out there and I might not catch a fish all day long, but I don't give up. And then if I catch one fish at the end of the day, if it's two pounds, 12 inches, however big it is, I, I see that as a win because I didn't give up. I didn't go home pouting because I didn't catch anything. 
that would be mine. I wouldn't never give up, never give up on anything in life. That would be, always give it your best. That would be mine. I can dig that. Well, we're going to start wrapping it up here. Um, Brian, I'm not sure if you have any sponsors or anything. No, no. no sponsors you want to shout out? Uh, no. You got any uh, any shout outs you want to do or social media you want to plug where people want to follow you? or? Well, I mean, I, I do have an Instagram account. I mean, it's not huge or anything. It's just, uh, you'll probably find me, I think it's, uh, uh, this shows how much I use it and look at it. I can't even think <laughs> of my uh, handle off the top of my head. I think it's average underscore Joe underscore fishing underscore N underscore T N. I think I think it's it. Or you can just type in my name, Brian Andrews. Uh, just find average Joe fishing in Tennessee, and uh, that, that you'll see a few pictures on there. I might have a few pictures of some jigs I made or a few fish I've caught. I actually, I just reopened that or started that Instagram account here recently. I'm not, I'll be honest with you, I'm not a super huge fan of social media, but I'm not saying it's a bad thing neither. I just, my preference, I guess you'd say. All right. Well, I appreciate you coming on and sharing your knowledge with us and everything. Uh, shout out to uh, some of our show sponsors real quick. We got Rocktown Paddle Sports, Loveland Canoe and Kayak, uh, Fish Mob Lures, TRC Covers, uh, Jig Masters, and make sure if you order from Jig Masters, use PNF20 to get 20% off your order. Uh, we got Hammered Lures, and uh, with Hammered Lures, remember the uh, Use Plastics Recycling Program. Save all your used beat up soft plastics, put them in a little baggie or something. Once you get some collected, send them to the address in the show notes, and he's going to melt them down, make new soft plastics out of them, and donate those to Heroes on the Water. Uh, if you need to get in touch with the show, go paddleandfin at gmail.com. If you want to get in touch with me uh, specifically, something with this segment, you can do bassfishingfornoobs at gmail.com. Uh, make sure to check out our merchandise on paddleandfin.com. Uh, still got the hats on pre-order if you're interested in that you can message us we can send an email or or uh, message us on social media but uh, other than that everybody tight lines and smooth paddling join captain justin leak and meredith mccord for the best fishing action along panama city beach tune in to chasing the sun every sunday at 9 30 a.m eastern on waypoint tv Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV.